Hello and welcome back to Pastors Q&A. I am Pastor Ryan. This right here is the esteemed Pastor Jeremy, and we are here to give biblical answers to your questions. And so we have a uh, special question today, uh, one that we are excited to dive into. This is what it says. This is a question all about parenting. And so it says this. It says, how do we raise our kids in the midst of the sexual revolution? What are some ways that we can raise our kids to be biblically faithful? How do we raise them to show the love of Christ to others without <clears throat> surrendering biblical truth? And so in the current cultural environment, how can we equip our kids to deal with this? And we, we both have young kids, so this is a very pertinent question, something that we have to deal with every day. So Jeremy, how would you encourage uh, other parents out there? Yeah, important question, uh, especially because um, uh, whatever's happening in culture impacts us. It disciples us in some way. We Most of our cultural sensibilities are absorbed, not thought through. And so that's certainly happening with our kids. So great question. We must be intentional with our kids uh, about uh, uh, encouraging them in a biblical worldview. But the question is, how do you do it? How do you do it effectively? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a few different things that are important. Uh, in, it would, you know, when we first define the sexual revolution, maybe uh, you know, it's been around for a number of years. The, sure. the the current iteration of that is transgenderism, the sudden uh, uh, mindset within culture that someone who is a biological male but feels like they're a woman should be treated at not just treated as a woman but believed to be a woman. Yeah, and you affirmed know. and ex- celebrated. In yeah, that as well. yeah. Uh, you know, something that just a short time ago would have not been uh, widely accepted as um, uh, something that was a, a true statement. You know, I'm, I'm a man living in a woman's body. Most Just a few years ago, like when I was in high school, for example, people would have thought, what? You know, well, but, that was a while ago. <laughs> not that long ago. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, but anyway, but now it's not just, well, no, no, it's acceptable. It's, if, as you said, if you don't believe it, you're a bad person. So, whoa, whoa. So in that, in that idea of the, the sexual revolution, as well as, you know, gay marriage and that whole thing, uh, all the stuff with the LGBTQ plus uh, movement. Um, so what do you do? I think there's a few things. One is um, that we want to equip our children to walk in grace and truth. Uh, it's, uh, we tend to choose one or the other. Um, as humans, really naturally, we want to either walk in truth or grace. But John 1 says that Jesus came in grace and truth. Full yeah. of grace and truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he, uh, that and is a powerful, powerful uh, mm-hmm. part of that, that, that statement um, because uh, as it relates to the sexual evolution, if we just walk in truth only, we're going to say sinful, bad, no good kids, sinful, bad, no good, and so stay away, it's yucky, you know, uh, sinful, bad, all those things. If that's all we do, we were, um, uh, then we, and we don't walk in compassion and grace for the individuals who are, um, uh, ex- you know, expressing themselves in this way in the um, uh, sexual revolution in our culture, then we miss, we miss the point. And so we want to, one, be both discerning. We discern, we teach our kids to discern between right and wrong. How? By not following what culture says is right and wrong. That's a roller coaster ride that what was just a few years ago was right is now wrong. And that's why cancel culture has gotten so screwy because something that you said that was culturally appropriate is no longer culturally appropriate. And now you should be banished from society. Yeah, do you, do you like that? Is yeah. that is that a well, fun? And that's yeah. the dangers of relativism, right? Something yeah. that was true previously is now false, and mm-hmm. things that were false previously, even culturally accepted as false, are now culturally accepted as true. And so we can just we can cancel whoever we want based on what's currently culturally true, 
not even looking back <laughs> at what was historically true and historically affirmed back yeah. when it was potentially said. And so that's a, that's a dangerous slope to be on. Yeah. And so using this as an example to mm-hmm. your kids to say, look, just look at this logically. You know, uh, this is not how you should live your life and discerning what is right and wrong based on what culture says, because just look at the last few years, you can see that it's not how you want to live your life and point them to the Bible. The biblical doctrines of sexual ethics have stayed consistently the same for years and years and years, centuries and centuries and centuries, and that's a much better way to live your life. And so we discern what's right and wrong by the Bible. And so uh, so you teach them to do that, but also the Bible also tells us to um, be compassionate to those uh, who are caught up in sin, and we care for the dignity of the individual. And so, um, you know, the cliche way of looking at it or saying it is you hate the sin, but you love the sinner. Um, and we, ca- we have to do more than just say that statement to the kids and call it discipleship. We need to show them how that's lived out. And the great way to do that is uh, not just as it relates to this cultural issue, but all sin issues as they pop up in the context of everyday family life. So, yeah. you know, every day you're going to have opportunities where Johnny does something sinful and Susie did not like it. Teach him to discern, not good, that was sinful behavior, but we need to forgive. We need to forgive. And, and teaching your kids not just to say sorry and move on, but to re- recognize, you know what? That was wrong. And that matters. But you can forgive. Um, well, we need, and part of that is treat, and teaching them to treat other people with compassion and uh, but also discern from right and wrong. So that, you know, there's a, we can have a long conversation on how, about, how to do that. Um, but as we approach this issue, that's important. We need to foster that mindset. Otherwise, we, if, if all we do is to say the truth part, that's bad, that's sinful, so stay away from those icky people. We are, we're nurturing them to sin. We're teaching them to walk in things that the Bible also condemns. So grace yeah. and truth, that's one yeah, important part. Yeah, and that's true on the other side, on the grace side as yeah, well, right? Yeah. If all we say is, no, no, we just need to love people and we never we never speak with truth, then we're going to raise kids who are not grounded in truth or not, they're not rooted in truth. And so, um, and I think, I think obviously one important aspect of rooting kids in truth is saturating them in the narrative of Scripture, yeah. right? Saturating them in the story story of scripture all the time, every day, have your kids in the world. That's what Deuteronomy 6 says, right? Yeah. It's, you know, when you, when they wake up, when they lay down, when, you know, on your forehead, <laughs> on your arm, on your chest, whatever it is, right? Just always scripture, scripture, scripture. Um, and not just scripture in terms of, well, here's some good memory verses. Here's, you know, what the Bible says is right and wrong, not just the Ten Commandments or something like that, but really in the story of redemption, in in who Jesus is, in what the gospel is. Over and over and over, we need to know what the gospel is so that we can we can stand firm in this in this rising tide. Um, Albert Moller, he calls it the gathering storm. He wrote a book by the same title. Quoting my favorite and, guy. Churchill, Churchill. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what Moeller does is he takes that idea um, of, in this case, you know, Churchill's idea of the gathering storm of, of the Nazi threat, and Moeller applies it to the, the gathering storm of secularism as expressed through the moral revolution, the sexual revolution, transgenderism. If we're not able to stand in the midst of that, then we're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. And so, and there's a verse uh, that, that I was thinking of in relationship to kids that <clears throat> I think applies to this. And a famous verse from Psalm 127, and it says this. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. 
And then the second part, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And so I think that we can we can um, fall into fallacy if we take one of those verses and neglect the other one. And so if we only see kids as a blessing, we just want to have the white picket fence, we want to have the family, then we're going to completely miss the, the storm's going to be upon us before we even know it. The storm will be upon our kids before we even know it. Um, on the other hand, if we sort of skip over the part of kids being a blessing and just say, no, we're just here to fight and my kids are just being sent out as fighters, then I think that there's there's a danger of missing what the actual fight is and what weapons we actually use in that fight. And so we are in the midst of a war, but as Ephesians 6 says, it's a spiritual war. And our weapons are the gospel. Those are the, those are the tip of the arrow that we want to give to our kids as they are going out into the world, yeah. which is why it's important not just to equip our kids with moral rules from the Bible, but to equip our kids with the biblical story that will shape their imagination so that we can enter this fight well. And so yeah. we need to equip our kids to stand. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is teaching our kids that the rules or the commandments of the Bible are not just arbitrary, Yeah, right? That God designed this world, and if you follow the rules of his design, so to speak, uh, you're going to flourish. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, that that helps, I think, um, us, and also with our, what I do with my kids is trying to help them understand that it's not about just following a certain list, and if you're good, if you follow it, and bad, if you don't. Um, it's not that simple. It's yeah. more about just choosing life versus choosing things that are destructive, and so helping them see that as it relates to the sexual revolution as well. Yeah. Also, uh, you quoted Psalm 127. Yeah. A uh, little known fact first sermon I ever preached here at yeah. uh, Radiant Church back in the summer of 97, yeah, age 21. Was, before it was Radiant Church, right? Yeah, it was with Calvary Community. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I preached from that passage. Oh, fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, first cool. message I ever uh, preached here. Oh, but, that's uh, great. Good. I'm sure so, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, another uh, thing, so that, that you know, that grace and truth, standing on the word, and and helping our kids be anchored to that is is huge. Also, uh, cultivate within your kids a kingdom perspective uh, that uh, it, that that is this. Jesus did not. If we have the idea that Jesus came to rescue us from this icky world, then our attitude towards the world is going to be either combative or isolationist, right? We're either going to fight them and make them do what we want, or uh, we're going to just stay, separate and get, get away until Jesus calls us home. Um, but, you know, God came, Jesus came to rescue the world. He came into the mess to rescue uh, the world, and we get to be a part of that. And so we, we, we should train our kids to have that perspective, as opposed to, um, I just think we undermine the ultimate goal of, of launching our kids into the world to be effective people, you know, yeah. contributing uh, members of society, effective Christians in society. If we um, say it's bad, so watch out for everything and uh, just just wait until we get out of here, as opposed to saying, what is God? How has God equipped you uh, with His truth and by His Spirit? to be a blessing and make a difference. And we do that by being, walking in grace and truth, which is supernatural. Yeah, Humans, absolutely. as we already mentioned before, we choose one or the other. It's supernatural. We need God's help. We need his Holy Spirit empowerment to be able to know how to discern right from wrong and still uh, treat people with dignity and really care for them. And so uh, we care for them by giving them the truth that they need to hear. Yeah. And um, by uh, loving them and, and receiving them well in, in, the, in the midst of sin. Yeah. 
That's good. Um, so, what are some what are some ways as we um, as we as we think about that? What what are some ways that our kids are being formed, and what are some ways that we can form our kids so that they can be everything that you're talking about? Right. I think every parent, every Christian parent, would go, Yeah, of course, I want my kids to know the Bible. I want them to serve the Lord. I want them to follow the Lord, not follow the ways of the world. I want them to stand in dark times. Um, how you know what what does that look like as parents to do that and how is that being threatened by some of the cultural things around us not not just the moral things but um, even some of the narratives the stories the you know the cultural imagination what, what was that uh, let's talk about that uh, talk yeah. about that yeah an important point to make because um, primarily people's sense of what's right and wrong is is uh, dictated by what culture says is right and wrong yeah. And what forms that? What drives that? A lot of times you'll have um, uh, people cite, you know, big thinkers who have written, you know, in, in terms of Western thought, you look at certain philosophers who have put forth ideas, whether it's Rousseau or yeah. Nietzsche or Nietzsche whatever. Nietzsche said God is dead, yeah. so everybody believes it because he said it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So you see that, that progression of those types of thinkers, and you do see the story of Western civilization, civilization's thought process and how that's shifted over time. Um, but the question I often ask is, well, who, who's reading? How many people have read Nietzsche? <laughs> Right, I've read quotes of the. I've not read an entire book of his. I've read "God Is Dead" in graffiti <laughs> in a bathroom sure. or something. Yeah, not many people. So, how yeah. is it that if a very small part of the population is even reading those guys, how, how is that actually influencing? And that's where, like uh, Charles Taylor talks about the social imaginary. How you know? How is it that a a how is it that uh, you know Joe Schmo walking down the street um, agrees with? whoever those elites are that yeah. are writing the philosophies. And, uh, you know, for an example, if it, the, the statement, I'm a man living in a woman's body, or vice versa, um, I'm a woman living in a man's body, how, you know, it, it, the, the general person today who believes that to be absolutely true uh, likely did not get there from reading, uh, you know, seven, uh, you know, books on gender theory. Right. They just believe it to be true. It just was absorbed. And um, that, and what Taylor uh, argues is that, that that's what f um, moves social change more than anything, is that social imaginary. And it's uh, based on the stories that we hear, the mythos, the legends that are a part of society. And we live in a unique part of, uh, or a point in history where those stories are many, yeah. much more than you would have had a hundred years ago, let alone a thousand years ago, right? Yeah. Though the amount of stories that come, and so the influence of the institutions like uh, entertainment institutions of giving us a story, whether it's, uh, you know, fictional Hollywood stories or the narrative that's shown by media, you know, um, and those stories that are told, a story that's told over and over and over and over again, and we're drawn in, our imagination is captured by those stories and our sense of right and wrong shaped by that far more than anything Nietzsche wrote. Yeah. And so um, we need to pay attention to that as parents. What stories, what narratives are they are our children hearing? What stories are we listening to? Now it's very difficult, you know, because we, we can't just leave society. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know. And so if we said, you know, if we become uh, the, the Amish or something, you you might preserve some things in that lifestyle, but you're certainly not able to influence change, which is Jesus has clearly called us to do. And so we just need to be very discerning as parents and be aware of what 
stories our kids are listening to and um, be able to point those uh, things out, how they how they veer from a biblical narrative. And it's more than just celebrating uh, sexual um, diversion as being normal. That's an obvious thing to point out in a story or to avoid, you know, in, a, in, a, in terms of what our kids are watching. But um, one thought that uh, Carl Truman in his book, The Rise of the Modern and the Triumph of the Modern Self, I'm actually making that title a little bit wrong, but uh, Carl Truman's new book on the rise of the modern <laughs> self is very good. Um, he uh, talks about how many of the um, – our, our the, the sexual revolution was not just created by sinful behavior only, but Western thinking um, that all of us are implicated in led to that event, uh, inevitable outcome. Yeah. And so uh, that, you know, the, the idea of an ex- what does it mean to be, um, uh, you know, expressive individualism? What is that? That's the idea that how I feel is true. Right, you know, what, the things that I feel to be true are true and must be affirmed by others. That is a way of thinking that goes back far before the sexual revolution in Western thought, and all of us are a part of that story. Mm-hmm. And so, when we, uh, and so we, we need to just be mindful of how we may be in. The, we, if all we do is say avoid the sexual revolution, but we don't deal with that. Yeah. The sovereignty of the individual, you know, how you feel is more important than anything. Um, unless we arrest that in our daily life with our kids, we're supporting the way of thinking that led to the sexual revolution. Yeah. And so it's like imagine yourself being in a river heading towards a certain outcome and pointing to a raft at one part of the river saying they're bad where they're heading. Well, we're heading in the same direction. We're just not necessarily in that same raft. Um, so I think that, that that's important. Yeah. Uh, and so how does that show up in our lives? You know, how does that show up in terms of how does expressive individualism manifest in the Christian's life in a way that's not biblical? An important question to ask, mm-hmm. uh, answer. One is um, how we approach uh, the church, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, is the church – does the church exist to affirm my tastes? Mm-hmm. Does the church exist yeah. to tell me what I want to hear? to affirm my worldview and my sensibilities. And so I'm going to look for a church that fits me. Yeah. Uh, you hear that kind of language, right? I'm looking oh, yeah. for a church that fits me. And, and you know, to, and, I, and I get it, but yeah. if we look at church that way, as opposed to looking to, to the church and Scripture as uh, existing to shape me, to challenge me, um, then uh, that's how, that's the biblical way of looking at it. I go to church, I look to God's word to challenge me. And so uh, how I lead my family and just even how I interact with church is either supporting the very way of thinking that led to the sexual revolution or providing them with a way of thinking that will cause them to choose life over death. Yeah. Choose a righteous living over um, um, sinful living. Uh, that will choose them to embrace the beauty of, of the grace of the gospel versus uh, saying, I, "I want you know." Because what, what is the gospel? I'm a sinful human who does needed to be rescued by uh, an all sufficient Savior, as opposed to I want a loving God to tell me I'm okay. Right. Right. You know, said so. If we if we do that one, that latter, then and tell them that's bad. But we keep on, we do this in all these other ways. Again, we're undermining what we're trying to accomplish, and our kids will not be um, set up to stand against the gathering storm at all. 
That's right. And it's, it's a hard thing because it's so um, in our DNA as a society and as a culture. Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, in our founding documents, you know, we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the pursuit of happiness need to be in our, you know, <laughs> in how a government should be structured and what yeah. rights individuals should have and all this different stuff. Um, and so that, and that bleeds into every area of life and entertainment, everything, and all of that shapes our kids. And probably more than we would like to think, um, you know, our, our, the movies that we watch, Disney is far more formative in our kids' lives than John Paul Sartre or <laughs> yeah. some, some yeah. Philo- Nietzsche or some <laughs> philosopher. Yeah. Um, but those ideas are still there, right? The Sartre's idea of postmodernism is still in those Disney movies, yeah. right? Those ideas of relativism and individualism and we need to look within ourselves to find identity, truth, and happiness are all built into frozen. They're all built into those Disney movies. And so it's it's not even to say, well, we just need to stay away from all Disney movies, therefore. Um, I think a better way to do it is how do we engage this narrative in a way that affirms and points to the true narrative, right? And so how, how do we find Christ in the midst of those Disney movies? And there are some amazing things in there that we can mm-hmm. point point our kids to. And so I think it's it can be dangerous to go, no, kids, just stay away from everything bad. Um, and it's not, you know, you're not showing your kids rated R movies or something <laughs> to show age-appropriate Real content. Life. Yeah, show age-appropriate content, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to fall in the trap of like, you know, well, my kids are accidentally going to take drugs if they don't know what drugs are like. Something like that, um, but instead vectoring those narratives to say this is where this is where the truth lies, so that we can we can affirm that within them. Good, help point them to the biblical story. Yeah, and and I think in that whole mindset of recognizing we're shaped by story, we're shaped we're, we're shaped by the community we surround ourselves with. Yeah, and so being very mindful as a parent of um, the community that not only you are engaged in, but your you know your kids are. Because the there's a um, a thing that uh, I heard about years back that what shapes our sense of, of our, our thinking is uh, it, we want to be like people we look up to we think are cool yeah. we we tend to adopt their worldview because we look up to them we so want their acceptance yeah yeah because we want to be accepted by it. that that that's a powerful drive within the human soul to be accepted by others. And uh, that's why culture even develops at any level is because of our need to yeah. get along and, and fit in. And so in the middle of a culture like ours that is really embattled and stuff, uh, we just need to be countercultural and not not uh, engage in the culture war in a um, – we don't want to, as you mentioned with you know Psalm 127, we want to find a balance there where we recognize we're not – we're not just trying to vie for power here. We're trying to shine like light in the midst of darkness, and yeah. um, that requires a lot more work than just choosing the bad versus the good. Yeah, you know? yeah that's good. I, I think that that's a huge reason, um, that, that idea of wanting to be accepted by those around you. I think that that's a huge, um, a huge reason why so many kids fall away from the faith after high school. As soon as they go to college, they're in a completely different context. They don't have their Christian parents. They don't have their Christian friends. They don't have their youth group or their church. And all of a sudden, they're surrounded by professors who seem really smart and friends who seem really cool. And frankly, I think I think sexual revolution has something to do with this as well. They they see girls that they want to have sex 
with. And so if they have to leave their old traditional Christian morals behind in order to do those things, be accepted by that group and live the life that they want to live, then unfortunately for a lot of college kids, unless they're grounded in the word, that's an easy decision, a, a sadly, devastatingly easy decision to make. Yeah. And so grounding our kids in that word and I think helping them in the midst of that find their identity in Christ as well, right? Yeah. Realize that our acceptance doesn't come from those around us. We, that is a that is a dog chasing its tail. We will never catch that. Um, instead, we need to realize that our acceptance, the, the verdict that we get, our justification comes only from the Lord. And that's what allows us to, to stand in times that are really hard. And so there was an yeah. article that I read. Um, and uh, this was an article that I read. It was originally written as a word to pastors, the section of this article, but um, I wanted to just read a small section here, um, but apply it to parents instead. And this is, is, relates to um, how, do we, how do we get our kids to the spot of being able to stand up against this gathering storm? And here's what it says. Um, May I suggest to parents that in the quietness of your study, you do this. Imagine that America collapses, first anarchy, then tyranny from the right or the left. Imagine that religious freedom is gone, and what remains for Christians is fines, prison, exile, and martyrdom. Then ask yourself this, has my parenting been developing real, radical Christians, Christians who can sing on the scaffold, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also? The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And so that's what we need. That's the story that we need to root our kids in. The story that um, everything that I know, everything that I have is nothing. It's rubbish. It's garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Paul says. And so the more that we can make Christ the treasure of our kids, the, the thing that they love, the person that they love more than anything else, they'll be able to stand up, whether it's it's the budding waves of of you know secular friends in college, whether it's the budding waves of the sexual revolution or the the waves of expressive individualism and relativism, that's in just about everything that we see. The only way that we will be able to push against that stream is when we treasure Christ in the gospel above all things. Yeah, and and doing that in community. Yes, uh, yeah, that's the, the only way it happens. Yeah, the way that ex- one right. of the one of the things that um, expressive expressive individualism has robbed the modern churchgoer is um, you go, I, I just go there because I want to be blessed or affirmed as, as an individual in some way and not participate in community, shaping community. Um, you know, that's why you could just do church online. Man, it's very easy. I just hear someone talk, and if I don't like what they're having to say, I go find someone I do like that fits with me. Um, and so a way to help parent your kids is to get engaged in a local church, get engaged in community. Uh, where people can speak and challenge, and you work those things out together imperfectly, but you're moving by one degree of glory to the next, being shaped together. That's the way it happens. And so letting your kids be a part of that, you know, incorporating them into that process, living that out, and then uh, we need that. We absolutely uh, need that. So looking for healthy community and developing that where where you're planted. Uh, Another thing is to make sure that we don't um, point to a golden age, you know, saying, because, you know, that that will undermine what we're trying to do. Because if you say, hey, listen, back in the 50s, you know, the sexual revolution was different back then. It was better. That's what we need to get back to. 
we undermine what we're trying to do because there's other aspects that were really bad. But rather say sinful humanity has always been sinful. Right now this is its current expression. So we need to go forward in biblical truth and be conformed to that. I think it could be damaging because the kids will look at that and go, wait a second, things aren't lining up. You say this is great, but it's not so great. Yeah. And they're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reality is there's sinfulness no matter what era you're in, no matter what uh, community you're in, no matter yeah. what section of community you're in. Yeah. Um, but the gospel the gospel rings true in the midst of that and yeah. can, can shape us and shape our parenting as well. One final thing that uh, we wanted to cover here that was in the question um, relating to the sexual revolution is what what do we do with our kids in relationship to transgender pronouns? And so how do we interact with people who are transgender, uh, who are coming to us, who are maybe interacting with us or interacting with our kids? How do we treat those pronouns and how do we treat that person in a way that is gracious and truthful, like you said in the beginning? Yeah, 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 yeah that's it, you know, grace and truth. So on the... One side, uh, in the abstract, you um, want to not teach your kids to affirm something as true that is not. That undermines everything we're trying to accomplish in raising our kids. Uh, that's giving into that expressive individualism uh, full, full-throatedly and so full-heartedly. And so we don't want to do that in the abstract for sure. Um, you want to be able to talk with your kids about, you know, you know if someone's born a man, they are a man. You know, it is dangerous to uh, affirm that um, you know truth is separate from biology. That is not a good. It's not just that. That that will lead to other further. We'll see further things in our society go badly if we give in to that. So, on the one hand, you need to have that conversation, talk with your kids about that, and not practice that in your home. Going, oh no, no, we're just going to call everyone they. That would that would be bad. Okay. But at the same time, how do you deal with that's in the abstract, uh, sort of, so to speak. But what about when you're in, in, interacting with individuals? Be compassionate. Be kind. Uh, don't beat them over the head, their head, with their, uh, the appropriate pronoun, right? Avoid pronouns if you have to. Let's treat, treat that, recognize that whatever's going on with this individual, they're a soul. And we want to treat them with dignity and treat them with care by giving them grace and truth. So we're going to be gracious to not just offend them, but depending on the level of relationship and the role you have in their life, um, hopefully you can um, love them by bringing them out of delusion and into reality. That's ultimately how we, we help people in the way that, uh, you know, if Ryan, you thought that you were a giraffe, um, it would not be loving of me to feed you draft food and, uh, uh, you know, just give in to that. I'm not, I'm, you know, that's in no way helping you. Uh, or as we've talked before, you mentioned anorexia, right? As have how if someone's anorexic, they see themselves as fat, but really they're emaciated. It in no way helps uh, that person to just give in to that delusion. And so we want to teach our kids to treat people with love by giving them the truth they need, but doing it graciously. And, and you have a story about how that. I do. In yeah, your life, I was right? gonna. I was gonna uh, mention that, um, and, and it's just a, a beautiful way that that worked out um, when you're able to do that. And so we were at a uh, youth camp, and um, there was a teen girl who was there who self-identified as a boy, went by a different name, wanted to be called different pronouns, and um, and it was so. So we were immediately as leaders, as counselors, we were thrown into the situation of trying to figure this out, and it was tough. It was tough to be able to exercise discernment and still show. 
compassion and care, especially this young soul who was really in a dark place, who was in, who was in a very tough spot with things going on in her life, um, even outside of this. And so on the one hand, we affirmed truth in the sense of we did not let her stay in the boys' cabins. We, we could not do that because that threatens the safety of not just her, but of the other people, the other boys who were in those cabins as well. And so we affirmed truth on that sense. But on the other hand, we wanted to be as gracious as we could um, with this person who was clearly searching, who was clearly in a place of spiritual darkness. And so, frankly, what, what we did was we kind of avoided the pronouns as best we could, right? We, we just uh, we did what we could to just um, love on her. And, and miraculously, by the end of the week, through the chapel times, through the preaching of the word, through worship, she ended up responding to an altar call and giving her heart to the Lord. And she started living into the beauty that God has given her as a young woman. And so by being able to, yes, protect her and others through truth, but also show her grace um, and still accept her, still talk to her, still still welcome her into those chapel times. And at first, actually, um, she she didn't want to go into the chapel times at all. She, she did not want to hear preaching. She did not believe in God. She was an atheist. Um, and so she did not come to the first few sessions at all, wanted to just stay outside. But by the end of the week, as people continue to invite her and continue to be gracious and loving towards her, her life was completely transformed. And so it was a really, really beautiful story of um, doing the hard work of trying to use discernment and walk that balance of grace and truth, but then seeing the Holy Spirit move in the midst oh, of it. Yeah. And so another way of saying it, be gentle, but don't lie. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Be gentle, but don't lie. Good. Beautiful. Good. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, tuning in and hanging with us. And you can submit your questions online to go to radiantofcamus.org to find out how to do that. And we'll see you next time.